0: Hey y'all, Jesse here from the See You Next Tuesday podcast, coming at you with a three-part series with a collaboration from True Crime Cat Lawyer. We put a lot of research into this. I even read a book. This is part one. Really hope you enjoy, and if you cannot wait till parts two and three, head over to our Patreon. All of them are posted there. Enjoy!
1: So, welcome back to the show. This week we have a special episode. We are doing a collaboration with the See You Next Tuesday podcast, and we are covering the, I don't even know how to put it into words, we're covering Jody Arias. And so, I'm going to send it over to Miss Amanda and Miss Jessica to introduce us to their podcast and let you all know where you can find them.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Elise. This is Jesse. Hi, I'm Amanda. And um, we'll see you next Tuesday podcast. You could find new episodes every Tuesday on everywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, and also Patreon. We have some special series going on there. Right now we're doing the Duggers, which is Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fully up. Uh, so be sure to check that out. We got more coming your way over there on our uh, Patreon. And thank you so much
1: for having us. We're so excited to be here. Really excited. Winston and I are super excited as well. And we also want to give you both a huge shout out for doing the background of the case so that we didn't have to do everything. Because I think for any of the three of us to do everything would have been really a lot. There's just so much going on. And honestly, we probably could do weekly episodes on this case because there's so much information and so much to get into. But with that, I will let you guys take it away for the background.
2: Okay, so we have Miss jody Arias. Um, she was born July 9th, 1980, to William Angelo and Sandy S. Arias in Salinas, California. She does have an older sister and a younger sister as well as two younger brothers. So, Jenny claims that from seven on, she was abused, that her parents would beat her with a belt and a wooden spoon, and that her mom would carry the wooden spoon around with her in her purse, so she would always have a way to punish her. I personally think that's just being a child of the 80s, and not really abuse, but just the 80s discipline. But, you know, not going to judge, and maybe if you weren't a little shithead, you wouldn't have been beaten with a spoon. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i mean what child in the 80s wasn't hit with their mom's wooden spoon at some point i mean as a child of the 80s yeah it was very very much a different conversation than the ones we have now where it's more i mean as it should be less corporal punishment to be honest (laughs) it's crazy but you know
2: anywho she in the eighth ninth grade jody wasn't just caught Smoking pot, but she was caught growing pot. Are you kidding me?
0: My youngest son is in the eighth grade. Sometimes I don't even know if he knows how to brush his teeth, let alone grow pot. So, what you're saying is this really impressive? (laughs) Holy crap, you nailed it over here. I'm just
2: like. I'm like, what, what was going? I mean, there had to be more going on at home than wouldn't. I'm just saying. Yep. So um, Jody attended. Somebody help me with the name of this town in California. Is it Yereka? Eureka? Eureka. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's Wyreka. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. She attended Wyreka Union High School, um, but she dropped out her junior year and got her GED. Not only did she just drop out of school, she moved in with her boyfriend Bobby, and this is when her parents claim that she started to become mentally unstable, and that her friends would call her mom at night and tell her that she needed to go get Jody and she needed to get her some help because Jody would freak out all the time and that she had mental mental problems. I have some questions about this because. I feel like people didn't talk about mental health problems back then. So did this really happen or is this things people are saying later?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely would agree with that. And I would also just kind of thinking back to like when I was in high school, I don't know that I would have said something like that to one of my friends' moms. Like even if I was worried about a friend, I don't feel like that's a conversation I would have had with their parents.
0: Right no and i i agree and and having researched like more into like jody at this time bobby her boyfriend thought he was a vampire uh and he worked at a gas station so um that might have been why her parents were also thinking holy crap what's wrong with our daughter because she's now like dating a vampire guy (laughs) so I, i i i yeah i don't know but to your point, I don't, I don't know. And, and you're right. I mean, it's only until very recently has it been even okay to open up about mental health, especially at that age when I mean, you're a teenager, a lot's going on. So I, as
2: a teenager, as someone in high school, I wouldn't have known like if my friends were acting crazy, I would have been like, Oh my God, they're crazy. They need mental health. I'd have been like, no,
0: that bitch got a hold of some bad drugs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let her sleep let her sleep it off
0: we'll see her tomorrow right right <laughs> or if you had a friend who was like like that you, you knew about it and everyone knew that they were on like prozac or something right it was like very well known now it's like nobody talks about it because in the they don't talk about it in a negative light now which i think is great back then it was more like like what you're saying like oh she's crazy like what's wrong with her and yeah it's different yeah
2: so while Jody lived with Bobby, she had several part-time jobs, and one of them was as a professional photographer. And she basically supported herself and Bobby, and they lived in a mobile home with no electricity and no running water. I guess their bills were cheap. I'm not going to sign up for that gig, no matter how much I love you. But she was in love, she was in love with him. Of course she was, and she was willing to do anything. To make that relationship work. She worked at Denny's while Bobby didn't work and refused to work, according to my research. So Bobby's the real winner in this story and needs to get a job.
0: Not just as a vampire, Bobby. (laughs) Okay.
2: Yeah, that's not a job. It doesn't pay your... I really don't know what your bills would be if you don't have electricity (laughs) or water. I can get a job, Bobby. So, But Jody didn't seem to care that Bobby was an A1 loser because if Bobby was happy, she was happy, and she tailored her life around him. And so you can see this is going to play a reoccurring theme in her life because I feel like if you insert the name Travis, we're going to have the same scenario. And Bobby also you know, not only did he have a job and just live off Jody, he also would go find himself little side pieces. And when Jody found out, she at least had enough self-respect to leave him at the time. And so, you know, there's a plus for her in her small little wing column, but it did leave her emotionally and mentally damaged because she felt like she wasn't enough for anyone and she had hitting herself. And Okay, we gotta talk for a second. Ladies, men, whatever you recognize as,
0: your word is not determined by that man or that woman. Mm-hmm.
2: Men, same thing. You're not determined by that man or that woman. You're wonderful for
0: you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a different world, for sure. Had Jody, I would like to think the same thing. Had Jody received that validation maybe at a younger age, or maybe not? I think that's. Yeah, you don't. You don't know. We don't we know, know don't with know. her. It. I think that's the kind of the why this case is so beguiling. I guess is how much is like something that is influenced by mental illness, and how much is actually her, like yeah. doing it herself. Yeah, because she's a little.
2: So to supplement her income, she took a job as a server at a restaurant um, located inside the Vitana Inn and Spa. and is it Caramel?
0: Caramel? I think it's... I've heard Caramel. In cal, I think it's Caramel. Yeah, that's what I've heard
1: too. Okay.
2: In the fall of 2001, and that's where she met the restaurant's food and beverage manager, Daryl Brewer. And the two began dating in 2003. Jody and Daryl, they bought a house together in, the palm, in Palm Desert, and they decided they would each pay $2,800 a month as the mortgage
1: payment. Oh, that's like $5,600 a month for their mortgage.
2: What did the hell they live in?
1: I was just going to ask you to repeat yourself because I was like, there's no way she said $2,800 each. I did.
2: Here in Texas, you got yourself a mansion, gated community.
0: And that's in California, you said? Yes, in Palm Desert. Okay. Well, and you're probably going to get into this, but isn't Daryl like doing well? Isn't he like, well off or something? Um,
2: I just have that he is the food and beverage manager of the hotel restaurant spa where she was a server. She was a server and she was helping pay twenty eight hundred dollars a month. Let's
0: say she agreed to help. Okay, okay. I was like <laughs> trying to think about how much I got paid because I was serving table, writing tables around the same time frame. No way. No we
2: way. did not, <laughs> No, we did not make that kind of paper. So on the outside, Jody, she was living her best life. She had everything she wanted. She had a good man, a good job, a good home. This seemed like a stable relationship. I mean, she's living her best life. But Daryl and Jodi, they didn't have any passion in the relationship. It was just like a roommate situation. Jodi wanted to get married and have kids of her own. Something Daryl didn't want to do because he already had a child with someone else. And so they weren't really on the same page in the relationship, but Jody wasn't ready to move on from the security Daryl was giving her. I mean, I get it. Yeah, kind of, somewhat. So in February two thousand six is when Jody began working for Prepaid Legal Services, or it's now called Legal Shield. So
0: don't worry, I got that part. (laughs) I'm the cult one.
2: I have thoughts on that, but we're just going to keep going. So she was still working part-time at the restaurant, but she also, during this time, she began to go to the Mormon church, and she started having Bible studies and prayer sessions at the house, and her association with Legal Shield increased, and her relationship with Daryl began to deteriorate. She began to default on her financial obligations to Daryl. Did Daryl not realize as a server and a part-time, I'm going to say, quote, professional photographer she wasn't to be able to pay her half of the bills
0: no there just was no way and the other thing here is is and i think this is kind of correct me daryl had an ex-wife like you said Mm -hmm. and a kid and jody decided that what daryl wanted was the exact same person that his ex-wife was but jody so she dyed her hair and got breast implants
2: um I, i did not find that but I didn't go to
0: page ten of Google either. <laughs> that's fair. I heard that on a podcast that researched the case, and they read the Jody book, the um, God, the famous Jody book that's out there. Um, I think I have it referenced. But thank you, picture perfect. Yes, thanks, Elise. Did you read the book?
1: I read parts of it. Um, I okay. tried not to read too much of the background stuff because I knew you guys were going to cover that. So I was really interested to see like what information you found out about her that I hadn't heard, and I definitely did not hear about the breast implants.
0: So if, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't know if I were if I were a man and a woman did that, and, and I was dating them, I'd be like, "What? Why did we do this? Like, what's the motivation here?" It'd be fine yeah. if she did it on her own.
2: But- I
0: Right. And she dyed her hair blonde like his ex-wife's hair was blonde like that. That's like, ree, ree, like giving me single white female vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Get the hell out of the house.
2: And I did not read any of the books because um, I have found if I read a book, my book report is um, 28 pages.
0: So Jody is prepaid legal at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's so with Daryl.
2: She is, but the couple split in December 2006, but they remained friends. September 2006, though, that's before she split from Daryl. And she met Travis, who was a salesman and a motivational speaker for Legal Shield. And she met him at the company's conference in Las Vegas. Do you want to tell us about Travis before I continue?
0: Yes. Travis, in, in this instance, was at that point like an executive type in legal shield, prepaid legal. And so his job was to obviously recruit people under him and they recruit people and they recruit people. Blah, he gets the commissions. So he met Jody and he was like, oh, there's this new associate, because that's what she started as is the associate level that I want to bring into the fold because we're at this big conference and we're having this, you know, executive engagement ball at the end of the night. So it didn't help that didn't hurt, I should say, that she was cute. Let's put it that way. And Travis was a man. He's a man. He's a normal 24, 20 something year old dude who's like, oh, plus she's cute. This is not a bad idea. So that's, it's an innocent, very innocent way to meet somebody. And we've all met somebody like that, not necessarily at an MLM executive conference, but at
2: <laughs> a pyramid scheme, yes. a Ponzi an scheme. Yeah, uh, polished, but <laughs> before I go into their entire relationship and what happens afterwards, do you want to go into Travis's background and tell us all about him from the beginning?
0: Do you, uh, yes, I have nine pages worth. Ready? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, real quick, I do want to say that we have the fortune of, I believe, his friends keeping Travis's blog still open. So, if you guys want to go take a look at that, it does exist. I, all our links are in our show pages and on our bio, on our website, everything. But I did actually this time read a book, and the book was by Chris and Sky Hughes, his, some of his best friends. So, because of that, I had to take a little grain of salt with certain things they said. But overall, it was a really good way to view a, f- a person because, you know, wh- who else but the people who are closest to him? So we're going to just go first with Travis's blog. I'm a network marketer, a public speaker, and an owner of clothing company CAF GGSS that promotes modesty among the ladies. I am 30, a Storm and Mormon, no wife and kids. I'm into personal development, MMA, capitalism, a cleaner, cooler, more vital planet, and life experience. It's Travis quoting, that's him describing himself on his blog. And then here's one of the notes, quotes from his blog. It is my prayer that we live all the days of our lives, that we will be brave enough to unplug from the matrix and let the greatness within us manifest to all the world so that you will provide courage for others to do the same. Then you can live an abundant, fulfilling life without regret, a life that most are afraid to even dream about. I know that such a life exists that is intended for all of us. So he's a good dude. Like Travis is really trying. And let me kind of get into Travis's background. It was completely different than Jody. Travis Victor Alexander was born July 28th, 1977 to Gary and Pamela Alexander in Riverside, California. He is one of eight children and the third of eight. His family was very poor and his parents were addicted to meth, which meant a ton of instability growing up. Travis was verbally abused and beaten, often for waking up his mom from her crashes from meth. His dad died in 97 when he was 10. So it was just him, his whole, all his siblings, and his mom in a house with her consistently being high. Like she didn't even work. So because of that, they all grew up in a home that had barely any food, covered in filth and roaches. There's a blog article or he posted on his blog the feeling of roaches crawling all over him was so common that till the day he died he had like a huge phobia of roaches which i completely understand the kids had to scrounge around the house to find basic things necessities like food and oftentimes all they had was like moldy pieces of bread and they had canned food with no can opener so eventually obviously mom not working they got kicked out of the house They moved in with their aunt, all eight kids and mom into a camper shell in their aunt's backyard, right up against the garage by the washer and dryer. She couldn't move them in the house. I I don't know if she had the room. I mean, like eight kids. It didn't sound like, you know, if maybe his aunt had much money either, you know, necessarily.
2: The living room floor is better than outside.
0: I know. I know. But that's, I mean, it sounded like they needed to get out quickly because, you know, it was a dire situation. Travis was pretty shy, not very popular at school. Obviously, growing up in elementary, he had dirty clothes. He smelled because he didn't bathe regularly. He had lice in his hair. Kids made fun of him endlessly, of course. According to Travis, quote, I was mocked for my appearance, nothing too harsh, nowhere close to what was said at home. So eventually, Travis and his siblings moved in with his grandparents. Bless you, grandparents. When he was 11, all the kids also joined them. Which is great. So these grandparents took eight kids in in a short notice living. So it was Jim and Norma Sarvey were his grandparents' names. He said, All I am or can be, I owe to my angel grandmother. So it sounds like Travis's grandma became his mother because, you know, she actually cared about all of them. Travis went to Ribodeau High School in Ribodeau, California, and kept to himself for the most part. His friends said that he started to become more outgoing when he found the Mormon church at age 16. His grandma was the Mormon in the family. That's how he got introduced to it. And as he got into the fold, he started to realize that the church was a place for him to escape. It had order and structure. It had a community. It had people that actually cared about him. It was providing him this new life, essentially, this new world that he'd never even... Dreamed about, especially growing up the way that he did. So he finally had this ability that he needed all throughout his childhood. Through this, he discovered self help and then becoming like a better person became part of who he was as a person, like a pillar of his morality, I guess you could say. And it started to also propel a lot of his decision making like, okay, if I want to have a home by 30, I need to do these steps. So I didn't know anything about his siblings, if they got out or where they're at. But Travis seemed to take his awful childhood and flip it, reverse it. You know, basically, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to live that life. I'm not going to give that life to my children when I have them. So I got to give him kudos for that because that's huge. And at least he had his uh, grandparents to step in and provide him that stability. Travis dedicated himself to the Mormon faith and went on his Mormon mission to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ full time in Denver, Colorado from 1996 to 98. When he was age 19 to 20, when he got back, he went to Riverside, California, back with his grandparents and started attending singles wards, which are like Mormon singles hookup events. Like you can meet and greet essentially.
1: Like Um, dating, but
0: just for Mormons? Kinda. You like go to someone's house and you'll like read the Bible or the Book of Mormon. You'll have like, we can't have coffee and tea. You'd have like juice and like (laughs) Rice Krispie treats, I guess. (laughs) So no wine? <laughs> no wine. I know. What's the point? What's the point?
2: <laughs> so you're expected to, quote unquote, talk to someone, to date them without tequila? I don't,
1: I don't get it either. All you need is the good word.
0: <laughs> there you go. The word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going gonna,
2: I'm gonna to exit this. <laughs>
0: So one thing, and here's where I love a little MLM and a little cult. Oh, this just hit all the right spots for me. <laughs> so I did the research for us on, on prepaid legal. It was originally started as a automobile club, essentially, like a membership club back in like the 60s. And then it turned into prepaid legal and MLM. And then it got bought out by another company and they... Well, let's see. Now, let me get into it. One thing also that is starting to become more common in the United States is the spread of MLMs in US churches, especially fundamentalist churches. And it doesn't matter if it's Christian, Mormon, it doesn't matter. So basically, it's a place. The, the reason why it takes has taken such a hold from my very limited research is, from what I could tell is because like everyone shares a common goal. You're able to network easily because you have your church members there. Everyone's kind of like, all in the same mindset. And it's quickly to build that business with the members of the church and then their members and their family and friends. So it's also a really easy way for moms to be able to care for their kids while being able to contribute to the income of their family. Because a lot of times in these fundamentalist churches, women are required to stay home and raise the children. So this also reinforces traditional gender norms while kind of conceding Like, oh, women are allowed to be empowered and go out there and do your own thing. But don't forget, you got to be a mom first. That's the most important thing. You know, not to say it's not. Being a mother is extremely important. But in their eyes, it's your requirement as a woman is to be a mother. Yes.
2: Question. So... Did they have, like, within the church, like, only one Pampered Chef representative, only one Lipsense representative, only one LuLaRoe representative? Because you don't want to cross, you know, MLMs, because then Sally and Jill may have to battle it out over their Pampered Chef
0: customers. Right. No, very good point. I was not able to research that deeply but possibly <laughs> the Arbon is this girl over here.
2: <laughs> you have not want to fight in the parking lot because Sally and Jill are both trying to sell pampered chefs to Amy.
0: <laughs> the sensey girl comes in from the side. What's, what's happening? What, what are we all talking about? <laughs> oh, it's just, it's amazing. And yeah, yeah. So the Mormons in Riverside, California specifically, Prepaid legal was their thing. So to answer your question, Amanda, it feels like there can only be one MLM per church. Sorry. Everyone's in the same MLM? For the most part in this instance. Yeah. Everybody just kind of like is in it together. Almost everybody from the church. So how does everybody make money? Because they recruit people outside the church. Like they may have originally recruited people inside, but then obviously your job is to find what is it? Normally it's like a ten. Find 10 people, find 10 friends. So, and they find 10 friends and they find 10. With prepaid legal, now called Legal Shield, you get the opportunity to buy a membership plan for as little as $20 a month to have a prepaid legal plan with a lawyer that would cover you. You then get the further opportunity to sell this plan to someone else, who then will sell it to someone else, sell it to someone else. And then you start to make commissions on the sales that those people sell. Sign up here. Hey guys, um... I got this
2: really cool lipstick I want to show you.
0: <laughs> They've faced multiple lawsuits. And fun fact, in 2008, they were the top donor for the Utah Attorney General Mark Shurtleff's re-election campaign. And in 2011, they merged with another company and became Legal Shield. It's not as sexy as LuLaRoe, but, you know, I'll take it. It's a pretty good MLM. So Chris Hughes met Travis in 2001, and they became fast friends. They met at church. Their friendship grew and Chris was already in prepaid legal and introduced it to Travis that same year. Travis said that God told him to quote talk to Chris Hughes. And once he joined up T-Dog, yeah. So Travis liked to call himself T Dog. T, capital T, capital D, lowercase O G G. T Dog. Um, oh, with the two G's. Yeah, two G's, babe. You know, because he's like an OG, but like twice. It doesn't count when you give your nickname to yourself. I know, I know, but that's this is what Travis, who Travis was. Just so you know, like he is so his humor is so cheesy. Like he's that guy at a party where you like you'd be like, oh my god! But he's still really fun and outgoing. So he's not like he's the one doing the worm across the living room. Exactly, he's the worm guy. Or but yes, he's sober. Yes, exactly. But he's sober, <laughs> and all the rest of us uh, drunk asses are like he's sober. he's doing this yep nailed it so the t-dog was told by god that he should talk to chris hughes about this opportunity and guess what It actually, that cheesiness worked very fucking well. Like, so he was incredibly successful in this MLM, incredibly successful. He was very personable. He could meet people easily. So that obviously meant that he could recruit people easily and grow his business. At one point in the 2000s, he was making over $100,000 a year, which is stupid money, even for today. So he was making some serious cash back then.
2: Google, lost shields.
0: Prepaid legal, legal, legal shield application. There you go, girl. He started dressing in custom suits. That was one thing that Chris said that he would actually make, have go get custom suits made for himself. And they would go on vacations together. Him and Chris, they would date women. This is before he met Sky together. And they worked on growing their businesses. Before legal shield, Travis was working two jobs, part-time at the mall. And then another job as a substance abuse tester, which I thought was very interesting. And that's why I left it in, because I think that that has something to do with his mom, maybe his way of like kind of giving back and trying to solve, you know, addiction in the community.
2: I guarantee you every single person that he drug tested, he told them when they failed, I'm
0: praying for you. That's a possibility. Yeah, I could see that. I could see him that or like maybe even just talking about, you know, the church with them.
2: As they're waiting the two minutes for your pea stick to be dipped, have you heard about our Lord and Savior who can save you from the
0: demons that have their hold within your soul? Demons. (laughs) Travis also was not only successful, like just gathering people in the business, he became a speaker at many of these conferences. Like there's video online that you can see still to this day of him speaking. Yeah, it's he was really into it. So he's found this whole new community. He's found a new community with a church. He's found stability. He's meeting girls. You know, Think of it that like they're within the church, but he's meeting girls and he now is successful and he has a business. So like his life is looking good. He's living his life. Travis, by his friends on admission, was flirty with everyone. That was a big point that they hammered on was he would flirt with everyone like, oh, it's not that serious. And it's like, it's not, but it's also like that early 2000s, like, cringy flirting or you're like, did you fall from heaven? You know, oh, kind did of... he wear Ted Hardy t-shirts? Uh, no, thank God. Oh my God. I haven't, I didn't see anything with Ted Hardy, but it was much more like Patagonia maybe, maybe an office t-shirt. I'm a stupid, one of those maybe. Something I mean, like that. dog would definitely weird. I'm a yeah. stupid. Hell yeah. So he was growing up also very isolated and insulated from people. So you got to think about that too. So the Mormons can be very fundamental. I'll just put it that way because of that, they can isolate themselves from society. And then whenever you have people like that in, go into society, they don't really pick up social cues. They may not pick up things that aren't right with situations or other people because they aren't taught that those people exist, but also you're not being um, introduced to people outside your, your inner, inner circle, inside your community. So you don't learn warning signs, red flags. That's a big one that I'm really got into here. And because of that, sex was taboo. You don't talk about sex. You talk about sex in the context of marriage and that's it. And you have it in marriage and that's it.
2: Is it my turn again yet? Always. Oh, <laughs> Is it my turn to go back? Can we, can we pick back up with what happened when Jody met Travis? Please. You know, because Jody claims that her and Travis developed a sexual
0: relationship within a week after they met i am going to get to that you're absolutely correct that's absolutely correct 100 percent. the progression to jody is very interesting so i made sure to do a little blurb on each of the girls he dated pre and post jody it's inter- it's t-dog is not exactly innocent i'm just saying i have no. more things i have more things but you you talked before jody <laughs> so he had natural sexual urges he's a human being we all do okay it doesn't matter who you are in in the mormon church they have a the ability to wear what's called a ctr ring or choose the right ring and what it means from the ctr website actually the mormon church's website where you can buy one of these rings this ring was is introduced in the primary two and primary three classes it reminds children and others to make good choices each day your birthday's in june right it is and it's a dollar (laughs) ninety five And it's cute and it's green. It's like silver. Oh my God. Like I almost bought it for myself. Stop. No, we don't want to like shit on anyone's religion by any means. Don't buy me that. (laughs) Do not buy me that. (laughs) I think it's an interesting concept. I like the idea of it. It just reminds me of all those purity rings. Like what I, I had one. The Baptist church does a whole service about it. It's a thing. Exactly. Exactly. So it's very... Very much that. So Travis had one of these rings and he wore it all the time. In fact, it was found on the counter in his house and his body was laying in a pool of his own blood in the shower a couple of days after. Anyway, we'll get there. But yeah, his CTR ring was found on the counter in his house. Do you think he took
2: it off when he had sex, like a husband takes off his wedding
0: ring when he chooses on his wife? I do, actually. Because he's cheating on his Lord and Savior? Yeah, I do. I do think that because he held... This is the the duality of Travis. He is so in with the Mormon church because it's given him so much. It's given him a life. It's given him a job. It's given him a community, family, all of it. But at the same time, he's a human being and wants sex. And that's where Jody comes in. So he's constantly battling himself. Constant, 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 constant. Travis met Deanna Reed in 1998 at the home of a mutual friend. They hit it off right away. Uh, One thing I kept getting after research was the fact that Travis would want to get married almost immediately to any girl he started dating. So context-wise, this makes sense. I went to a Southern Baptist high school and everything there was like extremely ready to get married, like right out of high school.
1: Because they want to have sex.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No, for real. I mean, a lot of them. It's like the Duggars. They all got married at 18, 19. Yeah, exactly. Same idea. So the other thing is it's like... In order to complete God's mission of populating the earth with Christians as women and men, your job is to be a wife and mother and a husband and father as quickly as possible. So when Travis and Deanna started dating, he quickly wanted to marry her. And she was like, eh, I feel like I should go on my mission first, which Deanna seems like a very much more level headed person. And, you know, she's like, look, I, I like you. 100%. I would love to date you. And eventually, yeah, let's get married, but not right now. We're, we're kind of young and I want to do my mission. So that's what she did. This broke Travis's heart that she went on the mission instead of like hanging out with him and then like eventually get married. And he wrote to her all the time. But at the end of her mission in summer 2001, when she, he was 24, he met Linda Ballard. He wrote to Deanna that he had started dating Linda. So it seems like when she left, it was kind of like one of those understood, we're on a break. We're not together right now moments. And so he's like, no. And then he meets Linda. And then I think it was good that he wrote Deanna and said, Hey, heads up. I did meet somebody, just so you know. You know, so at least there wasn't that awkwardness if she came back and was like, Who is this girl? (laughs) Sitting in your living room, Travis. You know. So it sounds like he was trying to do the right thing. Again, marriage talk. He even purchased an engagement ring for Linda. So, if you if you remember hearing about an engagement ring ever that Jody mentions like she's wearing it or anything like that, from what I understand, this is that engagement ring. He didn't buy it for anybody for Jody. He bought it for Linda. And they didn't obviously get married, and so that's where that came from. But can you just imagine Jody being like, "Mrs. Travis Alexander," and she's like, got the ring on and doing that whole fucking thing? I can imagine her doing that in the mirror and then she hears him
2: coming up the stairs and she's throwing the ring back in the drawer and slamming it closed and climbing back
0: out the window. Exactly. (laughs) Through the doggy door. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, the doggy door. Yeah. So Linda knew all about the ring even before he asked her and she was like not about it. She actually said, according to the book, she, quote, valued tra- uh, traditional education and predictability of a job over the greater earnings potential of an entrepreneur. In other words, Travis had tried to get her into the prepaid legal game and she just wasn't, <laughs> but having it to me just shows like her gut feeling was spot on. <laughs> so she broke up with him and she said it was the hardest thing she had to do. She was also only 20 at the time and she was like, Look, I'm also too young to get married. Interestingly enough, and, and just I did a little bit of, like points about the trial because these people come back so I just want to kind of bring that back around kind of full circle. She said she saw Travis for the last time in 2006 and this is what he said to her quote. This is her quoting in the trial. He'd been dating a girl named Jody and he mentioned to me that she was a pathological liar and he actually told me a little story about something that she lied about. And unlike Jody, I don't remember a lot of the details about the past, but I do remember that it had something to do with an ex-boyfriend of hers and some lies that she had told to Travis regarding her ex-boyfriend. So I also kind of like the little dig that she did at Jody in there. I don't have a good memory like Jody. Jody ain't got a good memory either. But anyway, <laughs> we'll get there. When Deanna returned from her mission in November 2001, her and Travis started dating again in January 2002. So they gave a little cool off time. Then they started dating again. The vibe I get from this and friends of Travis is like, they really felt that the, these two were really well matched. They were almost like soulmates. And they remained friends their whole lives. They obviously were on again, off again quite a bit because of this. I also come to understand that Travis had a really hard time with commitment due to how he grew up. He was always afraid that people were going to leave him or you know shit on him essentially. So he did want to get married to her, but it was also like his issue was he was 20 years old and he was a man and he wanted sex and she was not going to give it to him. And so he chose that over her a lot of times, truth be told. Deanna did mention he was not physically abusive with her. And she said that in court. So I believe if you're going to lie, that's not a place to do it. In 2004, Travis had earned enough to buy a house. And with the California housing prices skyrocketing, 2004, this is before the bubble popped, there was a large Mormon population in Mesa, Arizona. So this was much more of a natural place for him to settle and buy a home. You can actually Google it and the house is still Around today. I don't know if it's uh, for sale, but that's always a fun little side note. Chris Sky Hughes, their home was like around halfway in between Jody's house and Travis's Mesa house. Okay. But their home was also a hub for the Mormon church. Like it seems like the Mormon church had a lot of meetings in people's houses outside of church hours, you know, like communal events, but they also held these prepaid legal meetings there with their friends. So they would said that Travis used to love to watch um, UFC and host parties at his home because he finally had his own home. And he was like, now I don't have to go to y'all's place all the time. You know, it was cool. So it was like, he was proud of himself as he should be. That's huge. Also, he got a pug named Napoleon. He called him Naps for short. And that's why he had a doggy door. <laughs> the doggy door wasn't for Jody Jody to pass out of the doggy door. I wish we had Ring back then, those cameras. And I would have given all my money to see her crawling through the dog. You can't find
2: it online.
0: There's video? How is there video of this?
2: I don't know. If it, I think it's just still from um, somebody's security system. Oh, maybe from like across the street or something? Yes, we still had security systems. Oh, know. Like, it, it wasn't 1945. It's like today. No, I, it wasn't <laughs> 1945. There were <was> security <laughs> systems in
0: the late 2000s. I get that. What I'm saying is it's like it's not like it is now where we have like these like it's a camera on your doorbell. That's all I'm saying. It was like an actual camera you had to mount it. Mounted, and it was a whole thing anyway. So when Travis was 29, he met Jody Arias on September 13th, 2006 at the biannual prepaid legal convention in Las Vegas at the Rainforest Cafe. And it was love at first sight. You know, you got the little snapping alligator out there in the front, you know, greeting you, you know, kind of animatronically like lurching back and forth. You got the stale smell of those like misters that mist like that rainforest water in your face. And through the mist comes Jody Arias, just like an angel walking through the mist. And, you know, that was it. That's how you know. Would you like to t- for me to tell you what happened after that? Please.
2: Oh. <sighs> Well, as, you know, as I had to say, because, you know, you were trying to make good old Taydog out to be this virginal man angel. Him and good old Jody, they had their sexual relationship started within a week after they met. Men, I'm talking to you specifically. Stop dicking your wick in these crazy bitches before you know if they're crazy or not.
0: That's the thing, though. That's what people want to do first. Let's knock that out of the way, see if we're compatible sex wise, and then we'll go see if. No, because then the fucking
2: bad shit. Stop it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously,
2: there was an immediate attraction, and they like jumped off both feet deep in probably some sharks, and they started traveling together. When they weren't together, they would stay in touch through phone calls and emails.
0: So there was roughly around 82,000 emails exchanged between the two of them. I do have some of these emails and I do have Google chats, infamous Google chat. And, and just so you know, get this. So in relation to what you were saying about how they had sex mm-hmm. like within a week. So they had a people legal party at Sky and, and Chris Hughes's house. Everyone stayed the night of the house. Travis went to one room. Jody went to the other. Okay. From what they said. Then the next morning, Travis woke up and told them that, quote, the tea dog left her wanting. And then he said, because he went into her room and they started kissing. And he said that, quote, it got pretty heated and it was clear she really wanted the tea dog And then he stopped her and said, I told her that I respected her and I wanted her to know that I respected her. And then I kissed her on the forehead, said goodnight and left the room. So sure, maybe. I mean, maybe. Or, you know, maybe, maybe not. I do know they did everything, but I'm going to say sex, sex, P and V sex. They did everything, everything, because that was acceptable to the Mormon church. The Provo push (laughs) thats what they call
2: grinding. It's great. I I feel like we're seven because you said the P
0: and V. I wasn't going to say penetrative sex because they had anal sex. I was like, that is the, you know what I mean? So I was like, I don't know what else to call it. That's that's the only thing I could come up with. (laughs) I would have said he, he didn't put his D in her C, but he would put his stick <laughs> in her ass. According to the Mormon church and actually some Catholics, that is acceptable because it's not technically losing her virginity or sex. Anyway, continue.
2: Okay, so Travis, um, he would never admit that the couple was engaged in sex because it's a huge no-no in the Mormon faith, but that's kind of like... No go in every religion. So don't act like you're special Mormons. Um, and Travis actually began to feel guilty about it, but not guilty enough to where he stopped having sex with Jody, nor continued to bang other women after her. And then on November 26, 2006, Jody took crazy to a whole nother level. And she was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And she says she took the step to be closer to Travis.
0: Yep, she sure did. And that was a huge no-go for the Mormon church. Guy and Chris were there. Sky said it was really weird, especially because also Travis did it. And then that night was the first time they had P&V sex. <laughs> that was the first like official now we're having sex sex and it was also i feel the turning point
2: so mormonism actually wasn't the first religion jody jumped into for a boyfriend so this is another pattern for her there was christianity hinduism buddhism and witchcraft oh shit was was
0: bobby the witchcraft guy the the vampire I, i don't know i hope so
2: I really think Jodi was just lost and kind of looking for love, whether it be from a man or a god or any god, anything that would make her feel loved, I think that's what she was looking for.
1: Yeah, I definitely think she's one of those people that like basically turns herself into the person that she's with at the time. So like she mm-hmm. has to have all the same hobbies, she has to do all the same things, she has to be part of that religion. Like she can't just be herself. Like that's not enough in her mind. I think
2: she feels like they won't love her if he is her. Like, and I
0: think at some point, she probably doesn't even know who she is anymore. Yes. And actually, now thinking about it, when you were talking about how she you know, grew pot on the, on the roof of the house and her parents found it, because shocker, why are you on the roof of the house? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing up there, Jody? Girl, you can't find another place to do it. Anyway, the point is that maybe from then, she learned how to manipulate herself into being how people wanted her to be. You know what I mean? Like, okay, fine. I got in super big trouble. My parents are pissed. I'm at an impressionable age, and subconsciously, she learned how to then manipulate everyone and all the circumstances around her to put her in the best light.
2: Mm-hmm. So, at first, Travis and friends thought they were a cute couple, but quickly they began to have a bad feeling about Jody, and they thought she was extremely possessive, like a stage five clinger. But to the extreme. She had to be at his side every single second, didn't like him talking to other women. If someone he didn't know, didn't know they were a couple, she would make sure that they knew. And she was constantly eavesdropping, spying on his communications. She was basically a stalker. And so Travis's friends even began to express their concerns about him. And his friend Sky even said, Travis, I'm afraid we're going to find you
0: chopped up in her freezer guy prophetic guy
2: i know you claim to be mormon but do you have the gift?
0: Seriously, Sky called this shit long before anybody else. Like, even in the even in the book. So Chris and Sky kind of divide and conquer. Chris writes his blurb first, and then Sky takes over. She was way more of a best friend to Travis. Like he confided in her a lot, like like a sister, about relationships and all the shit he was going through. And she had a little bit, from what I could tell, a little bit more of an even keel for the most part on the relationship and what's actually was going on. And Sky, at one point, because Jody and him would like eavesdrop on conversations. In the house. She'd be like hanging outside the door, listening to other conversations. And you know how you get that feeling you're being watched? And then they'd turn around and be like, and she'd be standing there and constantly, or she would follow T Doug whenever he would go to the bathroom, close the door, and she would just stand outside the bathroom, wait for him. This guy was like, what the hell? And she had to like kick her out of the house because she was scared for her children. She was like, I don't want this girl around my kids. You need to get her
1: out of my home.
0: I was like, what is happening? I read a story and I.
2: But I'm not sure if I put it in here or not about Guy and what's his name? Chris? Yes. Took Travis into their bedroom and closed the door and was trying to tell him all this about her. And they go, "She's going to be outside the door watch." And Travis gets up and opens the
0: door and there's fucking Jody. Oh my god, that's just I don't want you to wear my face as your face. Like, you know what I'm saying? What the hell? <laughs> I'm, I would be out of there. I don't care how good the sex is. <laughs> like This has been real fun, but you're creeping me out.
2: Yeah, it's bad. And then in February 2007, Jody moved from Cali to Mesa, Arizona. She like is now in your state. She's in your city. Um, and then when the relationship ended in June of 2007, he continued to be fuck
0: buddies with her. Yeah, like, and I'm going to swoop in here. He did not know the fire he was playing with. He thought he could have his cake and eat it too. And he treated her like shit. I'll be perfectly honest. Like he thought he could pick her up and put her down whenever he wanted to. You shouldn't do that to anybody, but especially not to her. She took that in a very wrong place. She went way left with it. Yeah. And, and also real quick, um, Amanda, you're going to cover the the letter, the email, I should say, the email about how Travis is all pissed off and all that stuff. Oh, Okay, real quick, I'm just going to mention it. During this time, December 2006, there was this shopping trip that Sky and Jody went on. And during it, this was even before they announced that they were dating in February 2007. Okay, so this was like just... Fuck buddy, time basically said like, oh, I want to move in with Travis, and I don't understand why he doesn't want want to move in with me. And then, oh, and I really just want to be with him, but he also treats me like shit and only talks to me whenever he wants to have sex. And so, essentially, saying, you know, Travis isn't treating me right. Sky's like, well, that's not right. That nobody should treat you like that. That's that's disgusting. Let me talk to Travis in the morning. They talked for hours that night. Well, later that night, Sky wakes up and hears Jody on the phone to Travis saying like nasty stuff, essentially about Sky. Well, Sky gets an email the next day from Travis saying, "How dare you turn her against me? You're just." trying to put a a wedge in between us because Jodi had realized she could manipulate the situation to make it sound like these two people don't want us to be together. We should run away together and be together in Arizona kind of thing to see if she could use this to get her way. And so in it is, and this was featured in the trial. This is one of those emails that's featured in the trial. So that's why I mentioned it is the context is very important about that email. As you know, whenever you're a friend in the trial, you can't speak so that had to be so infuriating to sit there and hear how it was being twisted into something different. Just uh, weird.
2: So Jody, she would actually accuse Travis of being physically and sexually abusive. I know I personally wouldn't continue to voluntarily be fuck buddies with a man who abuses me. So I can't really jump on that train. And she admitted the breakup was caused by quote unquote trust issues. But Travis felt like he couldn't take things to the next level because their physical relationship meant she wasn't pure enough for marriage. Well, look who the cunt now is, Travis. Your dick was involved too.
0: Yep. This is a tough one. I agree. This was where he can't. He is so forced for the trees at this point. He, he is so in it. And he's just literally leaning on the worst possible behavior that you can, po- you can have. He's his, he's his worst
1: self. I also wondered too though if at some point he kind of was maybe trying to push Jody away with that, not realizing that she obviously was not gonna be pushed away. But maybe if, you know, I'm really fucking rude to her and treat her like garbage, she'll get the hint and go away. You're onto something there. Maybe, sure. maybe that could be it. Yeah. I was just like, fuck you, Travis
0: yeah it's You're shitty you doing it I, too and it's so hard because he's the victim we of course we don't want a victim blame by any means but you know we also want to hold he did contribute to this unfortunately you know even his yeah. friends say he wasn't treating her right and that's why they would say to him hey you need she's human you treat her like a human don't be that guy
2: well i mean murder's never the answer he may be treating her like shit but murder's never the answer absolutely correct So, anywho, I was a little bit upset at Travis, and I still am, but let's move on. So, Travis did feel like Jody was stalking him, and he accused her of sending him and the woman he was dating threatening emails. But even despite that, he was still continuing to mattress dance with her. And they even traveled together in March 2008. So, uh, it's like, if you think she's doing these things, why are you doing these things? You know, maybe if you'd stop, she'd stop. She also allegedly hacked into his social media and his email. And she turned up at his house and crawled through the doggy door. And nope. then she also
0: slashed his tires, not once, but twice. Yeah, and Lisa, the girl he was dating's tires, once too. It's, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, she is like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I'm not saying she's not. And, and I don't think it's as much that she was driven this to this. I do think a little bit. Maybe a little. Yeah. It can drive you mad, right? Being treated that way. Sure. But she made these choices along the way. You don't just go, I accidentally slashed someone's tires or crawled through a doggy door. It's not an accidental occurrence. So you physically made yourself do those things, hon.
2: Okay. I think if someone did that to me, I would just move on with my life. Like it wouldn't have ever escalated this far. Exactly right. I, first of all, wouldn't have continued to sleep with you. But then another person, if they have the right or wrong wiring in their brain, you get this. You get this behavior right here. Yep. And you never know what you're going to deal with until it's too late. So Jody, she kept journals and she wrote in her journal on January 28th, 2008, that Travis pushed and kicked her, breaking her finger because she went and lent him $200. And over the next few weeks, she kept journaling how she kept lending Travis money. And in February 2008, she wrote... <clears throat> I'm gonna do my best Jody voice. I'm trying really hard not to be in the state of blame right now. But if it weren't for Travis borrowing all my money, I'd be in San Diego right now. I've spent forty dollars on two super Saturday day tickets that I've been squeezed dry and then some because of him. I've drained my checking account to put money in his and then I was hit hard. And he has the nerve to tell me to balance my checkbook? Nay, he didn't just tell me that. He screamed at me. And then process proceeded to say he get a gun and put it to his head and pull the trigger. I was crying because it distressed me to see him like that. And I know all too well firsthand what it was like to be where he is. So it was with great compassion, calmly, sweetly, and to the best of my ability, smoothingly told him that everything was going to be all right, that like always, this too shall pass, that I promise everything will be worth it to the end. He was under more stress than I've ever seen him. He was really despairing today. I lended him another $80. I went back to the bank and deposited it into his account. Since he said he doesn't want to step back into the bank today. But the time we had parted, things seemed a little
0: better. Well done. (laughs) There's just so much there. I feel she's pretty unstable. I think she's pulling a gone girl. And I really do. I think that some of this is fake. Even back then even back then she wasn't writing in her journals the truth knowing knowing and expecting people to find him i think she's one of those girls that always assumes everyone's talking about her when she's in a room everyone's always like going to be going through her stuff well why are you put a lock on that oh i don't want people going through my stuff it's like bitch nobody's thinking about you nobody cares you know so i really think that she put this in there as a way to preemptively cause confusion, but also not like you may have been thinking about it back then by any means, but I don't know. I also know that because Jody and Travis were so toxic with each other, uh, Travis started neglecting his prepaid legal business and started basically going into debt. And so because he was in such debt, he actually was borrowing money from Jody. So that part is true.
1: So I, like I said, I think there's kernels of truth there, but mm, I don't know. When did you say the sterling tree was again? February 2008. Okay. It's just interesting to me. I think you're definitely onto something, Jesse, with partially being true, but partially being fake. I mean, if we look at kind of the timeline of when she writes this in her journal, I obviously have my own feelings and opinions about her. But a lot of it kind of strikes me as sowing those seeds in other people's minds of what she's going to do and what's to come. And it's almost like justification. Mm-hmm. At some point, again, not sure if she's thinking that far ahead, but I definitely see how you could twist what she has said in there to kind of fit that narrative.
2: So then, in the middle of February, Travis and his new girlfriend broke up, and of course, Travis began sexting Jody, and of course, Jody responds to his sex, sex, his sexy text. Travis was already dating somebody new. Y'all, I need a second because if Jody was the evil cunt <laughs> I'm getting Conti vibes from Travis. I mean, murder was never the answer,
0: but mid March. I mean, he's texting her and he's dating someone else. Yeah, this I think is when is this? This is March two thousand eight. February after February, I believe at this point. February, March after he broke up with the other girlfriend. Okay, so we're at Lisa Andrews, who is Lisa Diadoni if I'm not mistaken. She was 18 when he met her and he's 30. So Travis is not doing well right now. He's in a very bad place. And when they met, she was like, well, I mean, she thought he was cute, you know, and they dated. But again, her thing was, I'm really young. I don't want to get married right now. And she's also in the trial. Again, no physical abuse from Travis is what she reported and they didn't ever have sex. Thank God. (laughs) <laughs> no, they probably didn't have sex because he was having it with jody yeah, and- yeah exactly and that's exactly right it seems like he was trying to find the perfect mormon wife while getting his sexual needs met until he could then transfer those sexual needs over to his wife that's that's kind of what it feels like at this point
2: i'm getting conti vibes from travis just yeah. saying yeah so in mid March, Jody meets Ryan Burns at a prepaid legal conference because that is the place to pick up the dudes. Isn't that where you met your
0: husband? Oh, yeah. 100%. Our MLM meeting. What was it? Herbalife? <laughs> Jeez.
2: <laughs> but they didn't communicate until a month later. Um, so I guess like he got her number and he didn't call or vice versa. Not quite sure. But it's okay. And in April, she's an eight, Jody accuses Travis of body slamming her and choking her into unconsciousness. Okay, one, if you're obsessed with Travis, why would you kiss someone else? And two, why would you tell him if he allegedly abuses you? I'm just saying she's a liar, liar, and she's a little sus. Just call it like I see it. So a week after this happened, on, allegedly happened, on April 7th, Travis tells Jody to take a hike and not let the door hit you where the good Lord switch you. And he's done with all the drama. Jody moved back to Huayrica mm-hmm. and started living with her grandparents. And this is about the time that Ryan Burns started calling her. And the two began talking. And, then you know, here comes Travis, writing back in her text, asking for nudes. All while Travis is still on, up, up on this other girl's Kool-Aid, he's texting and having sex with Jody again. And Jody, being the class ex she is, she records
0: some of the phone sex sessions. I'm just going to preemptively say that is why I didn't watch the trial because I don't want to hear people having sex. <laughs> like, especially not Jody Arias. Like, I no mean, thanks, hard pass, I'm good.
2: <laughs> like, so you know don't watch is- porn?
0: No. Yes. But like, I just don't want to personally, it's like her and Casey Anthony. Why would I ever want to hear that? Ever? So on May 1st,
2: Travis seemed to make up his mind between his two women when he chose to take door number two to Cancun in June on a work trip. He actually called the travel agent to remove Jody's name and replace it with Miss Bangs. Travis, being the piece of shit that he is, didn't tell Jody the truth. He told her he gave the guest spot to his friend's babysitter so she could watch the kids, and it was a way to pay off his debt to him. She was angry and disappointed, but fully understood. And on May 15th, the new girlfriend told Travis she couldn't see a future with him, but wanted to remain friends, and he agreed and still wanted her to go to Cancun with him. I'm pretty sure they were probably still boinking and that's why he still let her go and why she still went.
0: So real quick, um, I have a little note on that. That's Mimi. Uh-huh. Mimi was um, someone he met, uh, like you said, at work. They did go on one day together and she was very physically fit. So he was like, let's go rock climbing. So his dumbass decided I'm going to practice rock climbing the day before the date and was so sore he couldn't actually rock climb on the date, which is kind of He's kind of endearing and cute. So, you know, but Mimi was like, look, dude, we're just work friends. No offense. You're nice and all, but I just don't want to date you. He's like, okay, fair. Yes. He did invite her on the trip. From what I understand, Sky said that he was going to try to like convince her. Like I'm, it's like a romantic place. So, you know, do that whole thing of like schmooze and wine and diner or whatever. But Mimi said, look, I'll go on this trip with you, but we're going to be fucking friends. So I have a feeling it would have been a hard stop had he tried anything on that trip.
2: I have a problem with you going out of the country with somebody you don't know.
0: Well, it's also like like you said, so it's a work trip. This is one of those things that they won. And it's actually going to be with um, Chris and Skye. We're going to go first a couple days ahead, hang out. And then Travis and Mimi, we're going to join them. So it wasn't going to be alone. And everybody's all the, the whole prepaid legal. Everybody's there. So it's like it's a giant work conference thing.
2: Still, I'm just safety, stranger danger.
0: Right. No fair. I mean, well, especially in the situation now knowing what we know, but yeah, you have a good point.
2: So back to Jodi. So May 28th, Jody's grandparents' home where she was living was quote unquote broken into and the thief stole several things, including a 28
0: caliber gun. Just real quick, that same day is when this Google chat happened where again some random person stole a twenty-eight caliber gun that you know magically happened and we don't know who that person was but this is pieces of that chat Travis I thought I might break away this time but you knew I couldn't Jody I've proven it's not friendship violated that one plenty of times Travis Here I'm going to do like my T-dog voice You knew one call and you'd really be in and you don't care Jody you're ruining my life but I'm addicted a little bit later You know, if you just equal the drama with my anger, I'll take you back a little bit later. Why can't you reward me for trusting in you over and over again, Jody? Because there's no excuse for me to be alive. A little bit later in the conversation. No, I'll admit you were noble in the sack, but it's because you served. It served you to be. Jody. I know. The better I was, the more you wanted me. And the more you wanted me, the more we got to be together. I was a whore for you because I was a whore for that feeling. I'm a whore in general, and I still am. Travis, and you like being a whore. Unless you could get something sexual for me, but outside of that, nothing else is worth anything to you. Bit later on, Travis, just quit lying. Later on, Travis, can't you tell the truth? I know you got into my computer and erased a letter I sent to Lisa. I know you did. Jody. what? No. Travis, shut up. Shut up. I don't want more lies. You stole my journals. You slashed my tires. And I know it. I know it. Why continue lying? Don't you ever want to tell the truth? Later on in the conversation, Jody, I'm a full-time bartender now at a Mexican restaurant. Travis, you think I care about your sob story after what you've done to me? A bartender. Perfect. Jody, It's not a sob story. Travis. A slut's job. Maybe you can get tips for BJs. Oh, I'm sure you can. You are good at that. Jody. Yeah. According to what you said, I have a car. By the way, Travis's BMW. He actually sold her his car. I'll have that car paid off in one shift with a vacation money to spare. Maybe I can use you as a reference. Travis. Yeah, you are a three-hole wonder. You are good for something and always have been. You've never been given out the truth for truth's sakes. You never have. How must it be to be solely a liar and nothing else, to live a life identical to Satan? And you, after everything, send me some bullshit thing down the pipe as you log into my Facebook. You are a rotten lunatic. Jody, what does that mean? So that is the famous Three Hole Wonder quote in context. So Travis is pissed, obviously. That's like that pissed conversation where you say shitty things to each other and you're like later going, I didn't mean to call you a whore, you know, but he's at his wits end. He's been so gaslit by her by now. He's just like, can't you fucking just say one true thing, just one true thing in your life. That's all I'm asking for. The whole In the book, by the way, I did read that whole book that Kristen Sky made, Our Friend Travis. They have the entire conversation and they have all the email between him, them and Travis back and forth. And it it escalates. (laughs) I'll just put it that way.
2: So, um, June the second, Jody called Travis four times between one and three a.m., but didn't appear to get through to him. Um, after three a.m., Travis called Jody once for eighteen minutes and a second, and once for forty-one minutes. At four o three a.m., Jody called Travis back, and the call lasted for two minutes and forty-eight seconds. At five thirty-nine a.m., Jody left to drive south to rent a car to drive to Utah. At eight o four a.m., Jody rented a car in Redding and she she visited some friends in Southern Cali on her way to Utah for a work conference and to meet up with Brian Burns. Jody did pick up two gas cans from an ex-boyfriend, claiming gas was cheaper in California, and she didn't want to have to buy gas in Utah. And by late late on June the third, Jody allegedly set out for Salt Lake City. I just want to say if you have a friend that says, Hey, can I borrow two gas cans because I don't want to get gas in another state? That's your red flag. They're gonna murder someone.
0: Yeah, it's weird. It feels like to me, like she just doesn't want the gas station footage of her between the- where she was and Travis's house. And the receipts, because yes, everybody thinks she's going to Utah. Right. So this is preemptive, right? I mean So
2: let me tell you where she went. So on June 4th, 2008, Travis missed an important work meeting. And on June 5th, Jody met up with Ryan in West Jordan, Utah, a suburb, a suburb out of Salt Lake City. Jody arrived for a rendezvous with Ryan a day late and told him that she accidentally drove in the wrong direction and had to stop and rest. But her phone was turned off the whole time. I don't know if I was lost, if I would turn my phone off.
0: It's the opposite of what I would do. The opposite. I'd be like, where the hell am I? I need help. I'd
2: be like, excuse me. Where the fuck am I? Anyhow, so Brian would later say that she had dyed her blonde hair brown and had cuts on her hands when she showed up. And June 6th, Jody left Salt Lake City for California. She called Travis several times and left him several messages. And she returned the rental car on June 7th. And she had driven 2,800 miles. So I don't know distances. I'm thinking it's further than
0: 2,800 miles from California to Salt Lake City. I mean, that seems like there's a couple around, like, back and forths there. In other words, yeah.
2: I'm guessing since that was, like, a big deal. So the rental clerk also testified that the car was missing floor mats and had red stains on the front and rear seat. The stains couldn't be confirmed by the police because, guess what? They cleaned the car. Good job, rental car.
0: Good job, rental car. You dumb. that... Isn't that a thing? Aren't they supposed to report that shit to the police if something looks wiggity like that? Like, you know, like I would, I'm also a true crime fan. I would be like, yeah, no cops. Even if it's like juice, I'd be like, I don't care. I just want to make sure it's juice. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, if it's like one spot and
2: the floor mats are there, I might take a couple looks before I call the police. Yeah, but no floor mats plus red stains. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You're a murderer. Yeah. I'm sorry. We need to detain you till the police get here. Citizens arrest.
1: <laughs> I love it.
2: So when Travis didn't turn up in Cancun with his friends, they became worried and they went to his house in Mesa. So did they leave Cancun immediately
0: or did they wait till their vacation was over? Are you asking? Yes. I actually know the answer. So Chris and Sky were still in Cancun trying desperately to reach Travis because he hadn't shown up yet. Right. And right, right. Mimi was there and she was like, yeah, that's, or uh, I believe either Mimi was there or she was waiting to travel with Travis. And she was like, I haven't heard from me either. So what they did was like, okay, we can't leave right now. Like it's going to take us a minute to figure out a flight situation. So they called friends to go so, there. Okay. Yeah. That's how they did it. And so it different was, friends. exactly. It was. Okay. Okay. She called her, Mimi called her friend, Michelle. Chris called his friend, Dave Halls. And Mimi's friend, Michelle brought her boyfriend, Dallin. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah.
2: So on June 9, 2008, this is when they found Travis lying dead in his shower. Travis had 27 to 20 stab wounds, a gunshot wound to the head from a 25
0: caliber gun. Where have we heard of one of those? Magic. Magic. One goes Net. missing from her grandparents' house and all of a sudden... One shoots Travis in the head. I
2: don't know. And his throat was slit from ear to ear. So this is overkill. Like murder's never the answer, but this
0: is never the answer. This is bad. You're right. This is like, I am so mad at you. Like I have an anger of a fire of a thousand suns. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. this, is, this doesn't give me self-defense vibes. That, self-defense vibes are you grab the gun, you shoot a couple of times in the direction of the person because you're like in a yeah. panic moment, right? Like, yes. oh my God, oh my God, they're coming at me.
2: Yes. So there was a lot of forensic evidence collected from the scene, including a digital camera found in the washing machine. The gun and knife were never recovered. I'm gonna make an educated guess since they're they're probably out in the desert somewhere between Arizona and Utah. So once the investigators started interviewing Travis's family and friends, they discovered the strained relationship with Travis and Jody, and they even had Jody might be involved in Travis's murder, so the investigators began to look at her as a suspect. Dear sweet baby Angel Jody gave three different stories trying to prove her innocence. One, two, okay. The three? Yeah. Dear baby Jesus, I can't. So initially she had no idea what was going on and cried while in shock. Then one time she claimed she was not in Mesa and that she had seen Travis for the last time in April. And then another time she said two intruders broke into Travis's home and murdered him and then assaulted her. And she killed him. And then another time she killed him in self-defense. So I guess that's like four
0: stories. I don't fucking know. It's crazy. I mean, definitely the one that Nermy, her defense lawyer, came up with was, to be honest, the best one of them all because he's a lawyer. But man, he had nothing to work with. He had just the worst. So
2: remember the camera? Well, tech geeks were not only able to recover images from the camera, they were able to determine that the images were originally deleted from the camera and they were able to retrieve them all y'all are never smarter than the police ever never they hire the really smart tech geeks the ones you made fun of in school
1: i think it also goes to show that just because something's digital and there's not a quote-unquote paper trail doesn't mean there's not still some kind of trail digitally like it's still kind of the same you know, you can still get text messages if people delete them. You can still get call history. Nothing's ever really deleted.
2: It will be there forever. I've told, had to tell my teenagers that because I'm like, just because you delete it doesn't mean it's gone. Spot on. So there are images taken on June 4th, 2008 of Jody and Travis, sexual in nature. They took sex pictures. Please guys, stop taking sex pictures. Either they're going to send you to jail because you murdered him, or they're going to end up on the internet as revenge porn. Stop doing it.
0: Yeah, be real careful, for sure.
2: (laughs) Never a good idea. And then another picture that had been deleted was Travis lying on the bathroom floor bleeding.
0: Did you see that photo, by the way, with the foot in it? Yeah, yes. Yes. That's pretty damning, dude. Really, girl, we're going to go with two people broke in here? Because... There's also a bloody palm print on the
2: bathroom hallway that contained both Jody and Travis's DNA, so And then there's that. You no, know, she, she was scared: A month after the murder when police showed up to arrest Jody, she wasn't worried about being arrested. She was worried about how she looked. Instead of crying or being scared, or being worried about me, Mom, Papa, she asked to get her handbag so she could put on makeup. The officer denied her request. Of course they did. She was also denied her request to freshen up before her mug shot. She at least tried to fluff her hair. And she can be heard on the surveillance video saying to herself. And I believe this is like one of the most telling sentences ever. You should have at least put, on make, put your
0: makeup on, Jody. Gosh. Such a so, sociopath, dude. Like, your aunt, you're being convicted of murder. That's what you're
2: talking That's That's really telling. So do you want to know how much this cunt is worth? How much her net worth is? She has a net worth? How is that possible? They sold her artwork. I think her brother sells her artwork on eBay. No
0: way. How much is she worth? One to five million. Are you serious? But she's yeah. not getting any of those proceeds, obviously, right? I mean, she's not allowed to federally, correct? I don't know. Well, unless he's selling them, getting the money and putting it in her commissary. That's the only way you could do it. That's a lot of noodles, y'all. is a lot of noodles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But how did she get into prison? Mm-hmm. Take us there, Elise. Tell us. Teach us.
1: <laughs> okay. So I watched several and I do mean several hours of the trial to prepare for this episode. I didn't watch the entire trial because there were literally two months worth of testimony and I just could not. (laughs) I mean, Jodi herself testified for 18 days, which is historic. Nobody's ever done that before. So I kind of picked the important testimony that I wanted to watch. So I watched the medical examiner, I watched opening arguments, and I watched quite a bit of Jodi's direct questioning and her cross examination. So in total, I probably watched like eight to 10 hours of the trial. And let me tell you, it was a lot. <laughs> it took so much out of me mentally. And it was just exhausting. So the trial started on January 2nd, 2013. This was you know close to five years after Travis was murdered. And the prosec- prosecution's opening statement really set the mood for the trial. So, the prosecutor was Juan Martinez, and he started off telling the jurors this was absolutely not a case of who done it. You know, regardless of all the bullshit stories that Jody had told in the past, we absolutely knew who killed Travis by the time this went to trial. So, Martinez tried to describe Travis as a good man who had the misfortune of meeting Jody back in September of 2006. He told the jury that when their relationship started, Travis was actually most interested in converting Jody to being a Mormon. At least that's how the prosecution kind of wanted to see their relationship in Martinez's mind, it wasn't about the kind of sex and quote unquote "love relationship that they eventually evolved into. It was really about, "I want to convince this you know lady to be Mormon." And so part of that was also about showing the jury that Jody was always more into Travis than he was into her. And that was a big piece of their case. So he took the jury through the timeline of their relationship, what you guys have already talked about, you know, when they started dating exclusively, when the sexual relationship progressed, and the kind of back and forth history of these breakups and makeups, you know, still kind of fooling around, even though they're dating other people, all that kind of stuff basically everything that led up to the day that Travis was murdered. So then Martinez takes the jury through the day Travis was murdered, highlighting every important detail that he would be presenting into evidence. So one of the things that he mentioned in his opening argument was that Jody was one of the very few people that actually had the code to Travis's garage he had mentioned that the people who actually came on the day that they found Travis, they actually had to call somebody else to get the garage code because none of the people that were there had it. So he also talked about the camera that we previously discussed and really focused on these three sets of pictures that they were able to recover from that SIM card. And each of the photos were date and time stamped. And all of the ones that they talked about were of the day Travis was murdered, and they showed the time before his last moments, as well as kind of leading right up to the moment when he was killed. So, like we've already kind of discussed, Martinez definitely honed in on the multitude of stories that Jody told, you know, right after Travis was killed and sort of ongoing until the day of the trial, essentially. As we mentioned, we talked about the burglary at her grandparents' house. And according to the police report, the 25 caliber gun was taken from the home. And they had also mentioned like $30 was taken from the home, but Jody's laptop was still in the home. A bunch of other valuables had been left behind. So it was really weird to police. It definitely didn't seem like your kind of quote unquote normal robbery. You know, why are you? Robbing a house, taking a gun and thirty dollars when there's all these other things of value kind of being left behind, he definitely wanted to focus the jury's mind on that twenty five caliber gun linking Jody to that gun. You know, it's even though it's her grandparents' gun, she, you know, was at their house, had access to it. So really focusing in on that gun because as we'll see later, Jody is going to say, that the gun that was used belonged to Travis. As Amanda mentioned, the gun has never been found, and we'll kind of talk about that in just a little bit. But near the end of the opening statement, Martinez tells the jury about the activities that Jody engages in after Travis was murdered. So he talks about her changing the color of her hair back to brown. He talks about returning the rental car, and he brings up, like we discussed number of miles that were put on the car and whether that would be accurate if she actually went to the places she said she was going to on this quote unquote road trip. In total, he spent a little over an hour, like an hour and 15 minutes in his opening statement. And this is definitely in contrast to Jody's defense attorney who only spent about 30 minutes with their opening statement but apparently she didn't want to be outdone by Mr. Martinez because she started right off in her opening statement saying Jodi killed Travis. And I think for some people, this was kind of the first time that they were really hearing Jodi admit that. I mean, admit it through her attorney essentially, but they really tried to frame the issue in terms of why Jodi killed Travis. I'm going to put some emphasis on the why being according to Jody's side of the story, because again, we have someone who can't speak as to how their relationship was or what happened in it, other than the evidence we have, because Travis is no longer here to speak for himself. So Jody's defense is going to be based on Jody's words and her statements that she made. So in my mind, it's already a little bit sus, but that's also part of you know, presenting your defense.
0: Yeah. I have a quick question about that too, because whenever I did watch, which if you ever get a chance to watch it, Kurt Nurmi, I can't remember what it's on. It's on Peacock. Okay, There's a defending, defending Jodi Arias or whatever was her lawyer. The choices he made for how her appearance was in trial, it seems very deliberate like all of a sudden she looks very like demure, she has glasses on, she doesn't look sexy, she's always covered up and buttoned up. Her she has bangs and she has like she just looks like a librarian. Right? Type versus you see the photos of her and she's like sex bomb. So, is that something common
1: in, you know, especially like in cases like this to kind of tone down the client? Absolutely. And I think that's especially true in cases where it's already been kind of in the media. I'm thinking in particular of Michelle Carter as well. If the case is highly publicized, there's already this public perception of who your client is. And in this case, the public hated Jodi. So I think you want to try to paint her as sort of plain Jane and blah and opposite of what the public is perceiving her to be. There were definitely deliberate choices. Like you said, let's make her like the quote unquote ugly librarian that's, you know, just she would never murder anyone. She's just this poor innocent little plain Jane. And the media has just sort of honed in on this sex aspect and just blown it out of proportion, basically. So the defense walked the jury through their side of things and kind of how they, well, how Jody saw her relationship with Travis. And of course, the sexual nature of their relationship was the first thing that they latched onto. And they really played this dirty little secret line, which I think is the name of one of the movies that they've made or a documentary. I know I've heard it somewhere. But that's essentially the picture that they're trying to paint is that Travis is sort of hiding Jodi away and hiding his relationship away with her. And this was because, you know, Jodi was so easily manipulated and controlled by him that she, you know, was just wanting to do whatever she could to please him. And so it kind of played into their narrative of the domestic abuse and those allegations that they were going to later talk about and make. And I think along those same lines, they talked about the way Travis treated Jody sort of in front of his friends and in front of the public versus behind closed doors. One of the things they talked about was Travis called Jody a stalker and he referred to her as his quote unquote crazy ex. And, you know, based on the chat that you read earlier he called her a slut and a whore and basically it was like he's doing all these things but at the same time like he's still allowed to pursue all these other women and so really it was a character assassination on Travis and like we've talked about like don't get me wrong he definitely had flaws you know he's not a there's no such thing as a perfect victim but as we've also discussed, just because somebody has character flaws and can say terrible things to people, that doesn't justify murder. And so they really painted the picture of Travis being this abusive, sinful Mormon, and Jody was this poor, abused victim. So once they had this kind of seed of abuse that they put in the jurors' minds, they got to the heart of the matter. It's interesting. So I'm going to point this out and I want to make sure you guys really key into this. In opening statements, Jody's attorney says on the day Travis was murdered, he threatened to kill Jody. So Jody made the choice to defend herself. And that's how Travis ended up dead. So we'll save that for later and we'll see if by the time the trial's over, if that's still their argument.
0: Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.